Welcome back to Roots Radio. I'm your host, Chris Carr, and uh, with me is Mr. Austin Prey and Mr. Daniel Bakuber. Howdy. Hey, welcome back. Um, if you guys haven't already heard the episode where we had Daniel and um, I think it was the episode where we also had Joe Hoyle show on. So we were talking about, um, we we're talking about the project you guys are working on, um, which has come a long way since then, uh, the WP API. Um, and we had the opportunity to chat with Daniel again today, and um, we definitely want to take him up on that because he is um, a good friend of the show, uh, very smart dude, and um, really involved with a lot of these new cool stuff that's going on with um, WPCLI and uh, the REST API, and um, Austin and I are into that stuff and into React, and um, that'd be good to, if we can, just start. Um, give us a little bit of update on that project we talked about last time, um, or you were kind of rolling around, out around the time that we recorded that last episode, which is your um, a more restful WPCLI, um, and there was a, what was it, a Kickstarter or some sort of fundraising we did, and and uh, it was kind of a, a goal for us to put a little bit more of your time into WPCLI. Um, so maybe you just give us a little bit of an update on that. How how did that go? How are things going? And um, some takeaways you have from that whole project. Sure. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, to just give everyone a little bit of background, I started a Kickstarter project last November, ran 30 days, and I raised some money to work on you know WPCLI, the REST API project, and my specific focus was this RESTful WPCLI project. And the key idea there is that the REST API represents this new, you know, new future where everything that you can do with WordPress is expressed through a common interface. You know, if you're a WordPress developer, you have experience using WP insert post, WP insert user, you know, creating a new WP query, using get users instead of WP query, using get posts instead of WP query. Uh, there's lots of different ways that those interfaces to WordPress internals have been implemented throughout the years. And so the REST API really pr- represents, you know, groundbreaking new foundation, a brand new interface for interacting with any kind of core data models within WordPress. As that relates to WPCLI, WPCLI offers WP post create, WP post edit, WP user create, a bunch of WPCLI commands to interface with uh, features of WordPress. And so the RESTful WPCLI project is essentially to make the REST API accessible at the command line through WPCLI such that any endpoints that you write for your plugin or your theme or, or what have you are actually accessible as WPCLI commands. I think that's kind of the foundational piece and you know that was what was easy to do and and what I've embar- been embarking upon over the last month and a half or so is the more difficult stuff the building cool WPCLI features on top of uh, the REST API. For instance, WPCLI has a WP post generate command which will com- generate, you know, 10 or 100 um, you know, dummy posts for you in your database. And wouldn't it be cool if you had a WP REST, whatever your resource is, generate command, such that you could generate 100 mock students or 100 mock products with all their appropriate data filled out, uh, you know, through a WPCLI command and have that WPCLI command available to you without any additional effort. So, you know, kind of the key idea is that WordPress developers are going to be putting a lot of time now towards writing REST endpoints that expose their functionality to the world. And it would be really nice if WPCLI interoperated nicely with that and and allowed you to use those that functionality at the command line without having to separately write your own WPCLI commands. We all thought this was a great idea. Uh, 107 people uh, thought it was a great idea and uh, helped you raise some money to, to spend some time doing this. Um, how do you feel about that project? Was it a success? And um, is this something you'd consider doing again? Um, how'd it go? <laughs> great, great questions. Uh, <laughs> and I have some answers and some are positive answers and some are, you know, a bit, a bit of the reality of the situation answers. So, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of everyone that supported me with this project because my contributions to WPCLI and other open source projects are largely a function of the free time I have available at the end of the week. And in fact, in November, 
a new release of WPC Law, I was delayed by three weeks just because I didn't have time to put the four hours into wrapping everything up and getting the release out. So what it's meant for me is I've actually had a dedicated time this spring to work on WPC Law and the REST API project. I actually put about 95 hours towards the REST API project over January and February. Uh, so I'm I'm very, very thankful of everyone that supported and I, you know, I hope that, you know, Turned turned out to be a dollar worth spent um, in your case. Um, the challenge with uh, the challenge with any project is scoping it out, figuring out what the feature set is, um, communicating with stakeholders, managing client expectations. You know everything that we're aware of is freelance developers, agency employees, that sort of thing. And and the restful WPCLI Kickstarter project was intentionally ambitious because I'm a guy that has big ideas and li likes to do big things. And so there's some things that I feel really happy that I've been able to ship and, and produce so far. And there's other features that, you know, for one reason or another, I haven't quite been able to execute on yet. And that that's a bit frustrating. So, and, you know, it's a whole different ballgame trying to manage expectations of your Kickstarter backers than it is a single client because I've got 107 clients that I have to make happy, that sort of thing. As a part of the reward system, I'm, I'm very happy that I ended up... Um, so the rewards that I offered are basically, you know, my time consulting with your organization, you individually, or, or, you know, something that you're involved with. And I'm really glad that I chose that over trying to give out physical swag, because physical swag is actually very difficult to procure and ship to everyone, particularly when you have backers international. And, and, and so, you know, that even though, you know, I've spent a lot of my time fulfilling the rewards and talking with people and having calls with them and even meeting up with them in person, um, it's, it's much easier effort to manage than, you know, I've got to send a hundred coffee mugs all across the world. And I have no idea how to do that because I've never, you know, even created a coffee mug of my own before. Yeah, but there is uh, there's a trade off there because now you are one to one your time. You got to spend that time. You couldn't uh, couldn't potentially have have China make up some mugs and and drop ship them for you. So there's it's definitely some trade offs there. It's uh, but it sounds like you're a social guy. You you like talking to people, and um, I'd, I'd hope that seeing seeing how happy a lot of us are that these tools are available and um and you're you're a large part of the progression of those um i hope that that's that's something that has has been good about those conversations too so it, it's it's been a lot of fun and i think you know kind of the, the final note i have on you know would i do it again is yes although i think it's really important, you know, if you're contributing to open source projects on your like regular basis or even maintaining them, that you balance your time between that and doing other things. It's really easy to get burnt out on said open source project if you spend 100% of your time on it for a whole month or six months or, or that sort of thing. And I was pretty intentional up front to say that you know, the, the, the money that I was raising was going to cover my involvement with the project, you know, for six months, you know, a certain number of hours, and it was going to be a part-time thing, you know, part to half time at, at times. Uh, and, and that was a really healthy way to approach it. I think I would have gotten burned out if I had just tried to dive into it and crank it out and move on to the next thing. Yeah, I know that feeling for sure. We've, uh, we've all been there and we've, we've set roadmaps for even roots projects that, um, they uh those roadmaps have to be a little flexible <laughs> yeah it's so easy to set roadmaps and so hard to execute on them yeah i won't bring up any sage nine related stuff for austin's sake well cool um well good i mean i'm i'm happy to to hear about the the status of this project so um i'm excited to see kind of what what comes of what's left of that um so great work on that did you guys did you guys check out the package index and package management that I shipped as well? This is another thing. So I'm sure that many people are aware of the kind of kerfuffle that happened at the beginning of February uh, with regards to the REST API. Yeah. And, and as such, that really kind of like turned me off on the REST API side of the project. So I ended up spending a lot of February building out, completing the package management tool for WPCLI. 
Um, there's a new, if you go to WPCLI.org and click on package index, those are actually community maintained WPCLI packages of one or more commands. So for instance, right at the top, because they've picked the perfect name for any sort of alphabetical <laughs> order list, 10up has produced a um, MU migration package, which is a set of WPCLI commands for migrating a single WordPress instance to multi-site. One of my favorite plugins, or uh, sorry, WPCLI commands that I've produced is called dbac, and and a favorite command line tool of mine is called ack. It you know, allows you to search through the file system for a given string, and so dbac permits you to search through your database for a given string. So if you know, I don't know what you're looking for, reference to an image um, URL that you want to make sure you know is, is out of the database, you can easily do that at the command line now. Whereas the alternative is, I guess, run a bunch of SQL statements through SQL Pro or something similar. Yeah, this is super cool. Um, so a reminder for everybody, um, we'll put links to the stuff that we're talking about in show notes. You can find those at uh, roots.io slash podcasts, I think is where it's at. And it'll just be episode number 13. Uh, so check out links for this. Um, this is really cool. I wish I'd known about this earlier. Any other kind of takeaways for you from from this project, things you'd want to plug that have that have gotten done and maybe haven't quite gotten out there and, and seen? To be honest, I've done a lot and yeah. it's really hard to uh, summarize everything that I've done. Not, not, I mean, I don't mean that to like brag about it at all. But when I actually have dedicated time to work on something, I just crank through it. For instance, I've been really happy that I've been able to get the issue backlog for WPCLI down to, uh, like, I think it's 60 issues now. And I've just been cranking through, like, old stuff that has languished, languished since the dawn of time. And, uh, you know, now that I have a bit of time to actually work on it, I can get, get those issues fixed. Oh, cool. Well, you did kind of bring up this kerfuffle that happened. Um, would you mind taking taking a minute to just tell us a little bit about your um, your feelings on that, and kind of a just a a little summary of um, kind of how you feel that went down, and um, and where you're at with uh, your thoughts on core and um, the REST API, and how you'd like to see that go forward? Sure. So if if you were hiding under a rock for the last six <laughs> months, uh, at the beginning of February, we had a bit of a status chat on the REST API, where the topic of the chat was to discuss the plan going forward, because we, as the REST API team, felt we had gotten to a point where um, we'd actually produced a merge proposal about last September that proposed merging the REST API into WordPress core in two parts. First, the infrastructure in 4.4, and then the post comments terms and user endpoints in 4.5 or 4.6. And so we had executed partially on that proposal in 4.4, infrastructure went in and got to a point, you know, kind of end of January, beginning of February, where we were feeling, you know what, we feel like we can do this. Like, let's get the rest of the endpoints in, in 4.5 and, and get other people involved too and start working on the other endpoints. So we had a chat and the chat involved a certain guy named Matt and a certain guy named Matt said that we needed feature parity with the entire WordPress admin before any of the endpoints could be considered um, for merge. And so at this point, you should go do a little bit of Googling, read about that chat, read all the fallout that happened. Um, it was a very emotionally fraught event. At this point, I am have no emotions <laughs> on the experience because I've blocked the experience from my you memory. Just cried it all out. I'm and sure. and I think, for better or for worse, as a maintainer of an open source project or even a participate in an open source project, you do have to have a thick skin and realize that all too, uh, I mean, all the time, basically, the decisions that are made are not, not about you. They are about the project. And so even if you are personally offended by the decision, it don't matter because it ain't about you. And I think that can be, it's really difficult to deal with emotionally. Uh, in fact, I'm giving a talk at WordCamp Europe um, 
and my title is my condolences you're now the maintainer of a popular <laughs> open source project <laughs> and and i want to i f i find a lot of joy in maintaining open source projects and i also have to actively work to you know address the emotional side of the equation and make sure that i am in a healthy space to continue maintaining the project and the project's not affecting me me personally it's taken me years to you know, come to a point where I'm comfortable with that. So I, you know, I've had many experiences and interactions with Matt in the past, and I've even worked for him for a couple of years. And so I kind of knew what was coming. I kind of knew how it would play out. I kind of knew that, you know what, <laughs> it don't matter. It's not about me. And I've come to the point now where um, I care, but I don't care. Like I care in the sense that I'd still love to see those endpoints go into core and see, you know, the fruits of our labor be realized. And I don't care because I'm not emotionally attached to that happening on any particular time frame. I I would you know, I honestly would rather it happen when it's ready to happen over prematurely. And I realize that I might not be the best qualified person to make that decision. So heavy words well, that's a very i mean i'm like you said it's probably taken a long time to get here but those are that's a very mature um position to have on it so um that's cool um and you're talking about how it, there's this personal side of the reaction to um you know i think probably the smallest uh example of this would be like when you you put in a patch to to track and somebody just closes your ticket or you know just craps all over it because or says it's not a bug yeah or yeah they <laughs> you don't spend three hours on a bug and yeah, then they I say mean, oh it's not a bug the first yeah. time that can happen to you i mean it can be just soul crushing but when, <laughs> this is like so far beyond that um and it's like there's that personal reaction to um you know maybe it's like to the bad news but there's also there's like the personal side of um, why is this, why is this decision being made in this way too? So it's like you have a personal reaction, but there's also, there's a personal involvement on deciding whether or not, um, this does, this is a bug or, um, on the, you know, an example of the track ticket, or, you know, if we do need to bring in complete feature parity with the rest of the API before we can merge it into core, like there's personal opinions on both sides of that. So it's, um, I think it's just interesting and it's probably important to remember that too because it's like whoever is the person who's involved in making those decisions one way or the other there's still it's still um, there's a lot of preference and not just facts about what's best for for a project or for the software it's um it's there's a lot of personal preference involved there and that's uh that's something that we sometimes um intentionally put onto maintainers or to core developers or, you know, owners of projects. But, um, it also is something that is not, it's not like we all got together and elected that there was a president of WordPress and, uh, now one person gets to decide if a project gets merged or if a, a merge proposal gets accepted or a track ticket is, uh, your real bug. <laughs> it's just interesting to see the dynamic of, uh, different people being involved in a project and um, like you said there's always conflict and taking that as non-personally is is hard to do from both sides uh -huh. Uh -huh. well and just to bring this back to the kickstarter project too i mean one of the things that i pitched in the kickstarter project was create a menu locally and easily push it to staging or production well, we don't have menu endpoints yet. And the whole point is that WPCLI wraps the REST API. So like that functionality won't exist until we have menu endpoints. And just kind of going back to like project scope and managing client expectations and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'd be falling short on delivering that feature even though I've built a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. You know, just one of those challenges that you have to, you know, m make sure that you're aware of and respect and don't belittle. So does not having all these endpoints inside WordPress core now, does it really, do you feel like that really affects the, the progression or the, the way that the utilization of the REST API is going to play out over the next year? Or do you kind of feel like 
those people who need it, they're going to use Composer and just pull this in, and it's just going to be there like it was in Core all the time. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and develop plugins that use it. And um, you know, those who don't have it, they're you know they're not going to be able to just go to the the plugin directory and install a plugin. Um, but you know, how do you feel like? Do you feel like that's really holding back the the future and the the progression of WordPress as a whole, or is it something that we're just able to work around pretty easily and it's fine for now? Well, so my perspective is that from a WordPress developer who builds WordPress-based solutions for clients that are typically a bit more interest, well, in, uh, a bit more involved than just creating a blog with posts and pages. So, for instance, I'm building a learning management system right now that's based on in WordPress, uses the REST API, and uh, doesn't use any posts and pages. It has themes, books activities, quizzes, and series, and is in React. And and so in that case, the plugin is actually quite helpful. I'm extending the core classes to, you know, create the endpoints that I need for my own data model. Uh, and, and just to be perfectly honest, I don't actually need the plugin committed to WordPress core because I, as a developer, have the ability to use it as a building block in a project, and it's suiting me great for that. With that in mind, I don't know that the endpoints actually need to be committed to core because the use case for that is someone building clients on top of, you know, posts and page endpoints or maybe user management, like you have an alternative user management dashboard. But that actually doesn't seem like the majority, the real majority use case of um, of of the REST a API endpoints to me, and and even of WordPress. Like from my perspective as a WordPress developer, the growth in WordPress use is actually building interesting novel applications with WordPress, not building blogs with posts and pages. Well, it's cool to hear about the stuff that you're building um, outside of these open source projects, but the actual projects that you're building, um, that's, that's always just as interesting to me as, um, the open source projects that some of us are working on. Um, Austin and I have been, um, have been using the, uh, the REST API and React on some carrot projects. And, um, sounds like you're, you're digging into the React stuff as well and putting, putting all these tools to use into, into some projects, um, as well, Daniel. So, um, are there anything, any other kind of cool projects, things that you've done recently that you might want to just kind of share a little bit about? Um, love to hear hear about anything cool you're working on. Sure. I actually have a couple things to pitch. Well, so um, I've been working on this learning management system, which I mentioned earlier, and that's for a client. And we're getting to the point where that's going to user testing. We're going to see you know whether it actually fits the market and that sort of thing. It was also a project that I took a bit of a hit on so that I could learn React and use the REST API in a real-life client project for the first time and uh, kind of learn everything trial by fire. And it's been a very, 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 very enjoyable experience. Uh, and there's things that I love, and then there's things that I you know find a bit challenging and haven't found good solutions for. But I, what I want to link to you, you two, which I'm just going to include so you can include in the show notes, is I'm starting a new endeavor called Run Command, which we can talk about later. And the theme for the website, I am capturing my learnings about React and the REST API in the theme for the web website. So everything that I've kind of learned and employed uh, with this LMS, I'm you know moving to to my new run command theme. So if you're interested in that sort of thing and want to follow along, I'd love feedback and, you know, pull requests and bug reports and any, any sort of uh, uh, commentary. Um, the thing that I've found most enjoyable about React is JSX in like the yeah. component architecture for theming. I've, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I've been a WordPress themer since React or, or until React. And so it's really, I've used some Twig, but I haven't really delved uh, deeply into another theming approach. 
uh, and so React and its components have just been like so refreshing and and you know really nice logical way to structure uh, you know my front end and and I find that I'm just very very effective and fast because it I'm able to you know build templates and experiences in in ways that make sense to me as a developer. The thing that I found the most challenging are a few things. First. I felt like I picked up React in like a couple to a few hours and then mm -hmm. I had to go about figure out Redux and Redux took me like a full day to wrap my head around. Yeah. And I still haven't even like fully, you know, there, it's one thing to like learn Redux and learn how it works. And then there's, it's another thing to get it to work well with the REST API and uh you know delivering initial you know your initial store and you know pulling data and, and and all that and so i don't even feel like i've mastered that like i feel like it's a bit of an unholy marriage and i'm not i'm not sure how it's going to turn out um yeah that's been a big stumbling block for me well uh for me personally because uh it definitely took me a little bit to uh wrap my mind around redux uh i i'm a big you know functional programming guy so like the, uh, I mean, the appeal was instant to me, but the actual like becoming operational with it uh, took a while. Uh, and it really kind of hit me when uh, I was working on this project where um, I had a bunch of students that were working with me um, and they didn't really even have great JavaScript jobs. So then kind of mounting that, uh, that, was, that was just a huge challenge, uh, trying to wrap them around, uh, wrap their minds around Redux. Um, and I've still, and uh, one of my favorite things to do is to like, I find little meetups here in Dallas uh, where people are like giving like intro to Redux, uh, <laughs> like little things. I'm like, I already know, I already know how to use Redux, but like, I just want to see how people explain it because uh, that's been, uh, it's been one of the big problems. But to that, you know, I mean, once it gets working and everybody's great, I mean, I love it. Uh, but one of the things I'll bring up though is that, um, it's it's you know I, it hasn't been super re a requirement to throw Redux in there if you're just adding a you know a couple views to maybe a WordPress admin or something. Uh, like I know Chris on your stuff, we're I mean we're just using you know we're using the concept you know a, a high level component where uh, you know if, if we're, we're doing exactly what you see on the docs if you go to Redux, uh, but we're just doing it with a regular old set state component type stuff. So it's. Sure. Well, so for for the listeners at home, how would you explain Redux? Yeah, so the thing is, so I think I've explained in a previous podcast, or maybe you just from a, a knowledge of React, uh, React is not like Angular or Ember or whatever Meteor, uh, whatever you've heard, uh, where it's 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 all it handles is the view layer. It doesn't even give you know, it doesn't even uh, include anything that has to do with calling REST APIs or whatever it's just it gives you a way to structure your app in components you know the raw materials and you build those components and you feed them data however you want uh and you know it renders deterministically so i mean you can kind of think about it like the i guess the purest way to look at a react component is i mean you give it input it you know it gives output uh deterministically so where redux comes in there is so you've got these components you know input output well, now you've got to have some state, you know, if, if a person clicks a button, uh, I mean, there's got to be something that acknowledges that the button was clicked and now a change needs to be made. Uh, and what Redux does is it gives you a, basically a central store of all the actions that, that have been take the, taken place. So, uh, you know, I've, I've added a to-do, um, I've deleted a to-do, uh, all that kind of stuff. And what it does is it, is it go ahead and closes a loop where you take an action, it's fed into this kind of central collection of, of actions, and then it's uh, you know, it, I guess I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to avoid like nuts and bolts here, or, but maybe it's not. Maybe you can't avoid it. Uh, basically, you, you can, I guess what they what uh, Danny Abramov talks about is the whole time machine aspect of it, where you all these actions happen, they're collected in a central location, you know, a central reducer, uh, you could say, and then the sum of all of those actions is what's currently rendered on the page. Um, so you can kind of think about it like uh, you, you almost get like a transcript of what has happened in your app. Um, and then the very end of that transcript is kind of what you're looking at on the screen. Um, 
I don't know. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, and I think the circular nature of it is something that I found it. Once I understood that, I, I kind of cracked it. So the circular nature being your component, which is the view, can trigger an action. And then that action will, if it, um, sorry, it dispatches an action, which is, a, is the proper terminology. And that, mm -hmm. and that may be, you know, updating a post, uh, you know, deleting a post, getting more data. When that action completes, it dispatches another event that the um, reducer pays attention to. And when that data comes through the reducer, then the reducer transforms that global store, which kind of stores the state of the entire application. And then your components listening to that global store and the state of the entire application will adapt, you know, update as needed. And if it doesn't need updating, it won't need updating. Yeah, and I guess the whole point of doing, I mean, so we're, we're kind of like, I feel like I'm struggling to explain it. Uh, and I guess that's what we just said, <laughs> um, that it's hard to explain. But the end goal is that um, basically your React components uh, are not, you know, a bunch of spaghetti like you. It's not hard to follow uh, what they're doing because they do, they do one job they, and they do it well. They, you give it a certain input, it's going to look like this. If you had a test, you know, if, if you if you're testing your React components, uh, you're literally able to just feed it some, you know, feed it some data. Like you you don't you know they're like in the test, the React components not like calling out to servers and doing weird stuff. It just it just knows that dude. When I get this phone number, I'm going to display the phone number like this. Or you know, uh, if it's a graph, like you gets an array of data points, and then it's gonna it's gonna you know start displaying them. Like it doesn't care about where it gets the data or, or how it gets it or how that happens. It just cares that it's that it's there at that moment. Uh, it's kind of like a, just like a single frame of state. So one of the key challenges I found in integrating it with WordPress is just when and how and where to feed data into the, into the global store. And, and the sad truth is that on this learning management system application right now, most of the data is just jump dumped as a JSON blob in the initial dis in initial uh, in the initial state, um, because a lot of it has you know interdependencies. You know, there's a lot of data that's played displayed in the dashboard and that sort of thing. And yeah. I think the promise of a single page application is that you never, as a user, never hit that fetching more data from the server state, which is the natural way to trigger you know, a, a page view triggering more, you know, loading more data from the server. So I need to figure out what my elegant pattern is going to be for proactively fetching more data for the user from the server that's not closely coupled to the user clicking on a button and, you know, some page transition effect sort of thing. Yeah, that's, so that's one of the big stumbling blocks I've uh, come into is that, you know, overfetching and underfetching data, um, which I, I suppose somebody listening right now is, is like they're screaming at their phone, you know, oh, well, you use the GraphQL and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like, uh, like, man, you know, because because you have these components and I'm thinking about my tests, I'm thinking about reusability, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and if, and if you, you know, I'm building this, this, this whole component out, right? And then at the very top, I'm like, building out a uh, you know this this huge rest endpoint that's like less rest and more like just this works for this exact page um so it's you know because like if you think about it, like like the biggest example i can give you is uh you know if you're trying to put together like a pretty complicated like list view with like with a bunch of i guess posts or users or whatever um you know traditionally with rest you would just you know you'd call out you'd call out to you know slash posts or slash users and that would give you kind of like an abbreviated list of uh, you know the posts you're asking for uh, but then you might want to go you might be trying to clever and go oh well I want to add this like you know profile picture widget or you know a little graph widget or something like that and then you figure out that like oh wait but that's gonna require this endpoint shoot now I have to make a <laughs> I either have to make a, a rest call for every single list item in the you know in this list or like maybe I'll just throw it in the list you know in the regular old list endpoint uh, you know and then you kind of get into this thing where it, and then if you go if you go one way or the other you kind of you're making these compromises that are 
you know, go against your whole like component based uh, way of doing things. So it sounds like we need to go back to building brochure websites. Yeah. Well, I always tell, uh, I always tell people that like, uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I was on a phone call the other day and I was just like, uh, you think we should just like open a bakery or something? You know, people just like <laughs> or a bike shop, Yeah, a bike shop, you know, people to come in, Hey, I need a bike. Cool. Or, you know, Hey, can you make a cake with chocolate frosting? Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> someday someday I hear a lot of guys say they want to open a brewery I think that's kind of the, the that's competitive market now though yeah still that's what I hear <laughs> so you mentioned testing how are you doing testing with your react work that's so that's actually a real good question and that's a big uh reason I'm going to recommend anybody if you're if you're somebody um, I can speak to people who are like building uh, react or WordPress plugins and stuff like that like WordPress dash dashboard interfaces all that kind of stuff um, I can 100% tell you that um, react is a great way to go um, and a big part of that is being able to write well-tested plugins with well-tested interfaces um, I'm using so I, I go ahead and I use karma for my unit testing for, for running in different browsers and stuff like that uh, and writing those tests is actually very simple because, uh, like I said before, you're, if you're adhering to this whole thing where you have this global state uh, that feeds into kind of dumb components that take input and they give you an output, um, that you your testing life is really easy because you can just really just render out the components, give it fake data, uh, you know, load it from a JSON file or, or load it from anywhere really. Um, Daniel, I know you actually had a cool, a cool way to do that. Um, so maybe you can talk about that. Um, you know, and then just check, check what it does. You know, so you feed the user component a, uh, you know, a little user, oops, cat. <laughs> uh, you feed the user component a user JSON or, or a bunch of different props, and it, and just check how it rendered. Does it render properly? Then you know you're good to go. Um, that's, I mean, that's that's been the easiest because I know because one thing I have trouble with is uh, like nice end-to-end tests where you're booting up Selenium or uh, WebDriver or whatever and uh, trying to test it end end. That that's usually really hard. That's a hard sell, I guess, monetarily, and uh, they're real fragile. So uh, being able to just quickly write these components and then quickly write these tests is. Uh, you know, it's great. A, a pretty good example. Uh, if you go to github.com slash UTD dash CRSS, um, I'll, we'll put it up in the show notes. Uh, I've got a little uh, React application there that uh, yeah, it talks to a little Rails API. Um, and the testing for that's real awesome because uh, uh, every single component has a, has a little test attached to it. They're all run on Sauce Labs, so if you want a little kind of sample configuration for Sauce Labs, so every time you run a commit through Travis, it you know tests your uh, your 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 Karma tests on all different browsers. Uh, you know, kind of a, that's that's kind of a real complete example I've I've made recently of my testing setup. Uh, uses a bunch of Webpack stuff. It's uh, magic. Cool. Yeah, I've uh, I didn't go full bore into Karma. Mostly because I wanted to avoid a headless browser. Although mm. now I am still on the fence about that decision. So I'm using Mo- Mocha with Enzyme and Chai Enzyme. You know, just to throw huh. some random names out there. And yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm using I'm using Mocha and Chai with Karma. What? Yeah, what's Enzyme? Oh, so Enzyme is Airbnb's, you know, JavaScript testing framework. And and I guess I don't know how I I came across this on through some Slack chat, and I don't remember how I initially came to it, but I um so my preference is really not to have to deal with a headless browser because I found that they're painful to deal with, and they can you know stuff can break unexpectedly. And and a tr- all, you know truth I hold dear is that tests only get written when they're easy to write, and you know any kind of more difficult that you make them to write just means that they don't get written or they break and no one cares to fix them and that sort of thing. So I'm always focusing on making the test suite as easy to use as possible, and even I'm willing to compromise on the technical 
security of the test suite uh, in in favor of it being easy to use and people being able to test their you know test their code. So Airbnb has a shallow rendering feature where it mocks. It's not even like uh, a browser that's you know running in memory. It just is mocking the uh, React components with the data that you're providing, and then it allows you to uh, run assertions against them. It also supports full DOM rendering. I was kind of looking at JS DOM as as a way of trying to do that, and then I couldn't get JS DOM to work, and I just said hell with it. Um, but related to this, a neat hack that I figured out um, actually just last week is that I have PHP unit, which mocks all of my data because I have full test suite against my REST API endpoints, mm-hmm. uh, dumps all of that data out to JavaScript, and then I can import that in my JS test suite. So I don't even, I mean... <laughs> This is like the first project that I actually discovered this on, and now I want to go back and refactor all my old projects, because the the what I was doing previously was basically writing my mock data twice, yeah. and I don't know why I didn't do this before because it would have saved me a whole ton of time. And the nice thing too is as you're thinking about your tests and all the different mock data variants that you need, you only have to define that once, and then it just drip you can use them in two separate test suites. And if I was really cool and really knew how to do my stuff, I'd actually have, uh, I'd, I'd have my PHP unit set up a, a PHP server. So PHP actually has a built-in server mm-hmm. that I would run the Mocha tests against, but I haven't invested time into figuring out how well that would work. Yeah, yeah, that's usually... Um... Yeah, I mean that's if 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 I had to point out gaps in my test suites, it's it's usually right around that <laughs> when you start having to make web requests and stuff, and then mocking out those web requests right, or right, capturing right. them, it's like ah, there's right. too much. But um, but so I I think that I could get it to actually just work against a real API, a real t- you know test suite API. Like mm-hmm. it, the theory holds true in my head, and I haven't you know actually disproved it yet. So. Another thing about Karma, so the thing about Karma is that it uh, it goes ahead and it, uh, I mean, it's running in, in like a real browser like Chrome. Uh, like you, you basically, it, it gives you like, uh, you know, a server based, like a, like a local host 8080 or whatever. Um, and it'll like automatically launch out in Chrome or Firefox or whatever. Um, those, like, that's actually been great for i mean i have like in-depth unit tests that, that actually go through this functionality and stuff like that uh but it has been absolutely saved my life with uh smokestack just just check if it renders just check if the thing renders in a, mm. you know in firefox and, and chrome and whatever sure. uh that was because uh, a while back um i was using jest uh, which is facebook's uh whatever um and like that's their testing framework or whatever and it, it all it runs in JS DOM, I believe. Um, but then I asked the question. I was like, "Oh well, how, how do I make sure that this works in uh, in like you know IE and, and, and Firefox and stuff?" And like, and then like everybody in the in the, in the comments or the sorry the issues on GitHub, they're like, "Yeah, like we don't we don't talk about that. Like <laughs> we, don't, we don't we don't we don't do that." Well, I haven't run into that problem yet knock on wood not to jinx myself and maybe the first time I run into that I'll keep this in mind and that will convince me to switch but I just historically haven't wanted to deal with a headless browser because the other thing I've been forever interested in is uh, visual regression testing yeah, which involves a headless browser and some you know some awful you know existing open source project um, So and, and again for me it's this balance between you know technical purity and, and what it you know what it actually does versus usability and do i actually want to write tests for it you know because all of these projects i don't you know writing tests is just a part of my development workflow like this isn't extra cost that i'm passing on to the client or anything like that it's just you know an expectation for you know how i do things so that being said it, it can't sink hours and hours and hours of my time yeah um and then one thing I guess I wanted to ask you is, uh, so we're, you, you say you love JSX, uh, you know, I mean, React is real good stuff. I mean, you're using Webpack and stuff or how do you, uh, 
How do you get all that stuff yeah. compiled? Webpack, but it's actually a grunt task that runs Webpack, and that's just nice. some copy and paste from many projects ago. Because I use Grunt too for my uh, SAS compilation, uh-huh. and I just haven't really been motivated to. You know, there hasn't been enough reason to switch when the only time I ever touch touch my Grunt files at the beginning of the project. So it's like, you know, what is it worth? Yeah, we went through that with, uh, with some Sage Nine stuff. I still have yet to like even contribute at all to Sage Nine, even though like I was uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, where uh, the one of the dudes who put together a pull request that basically like took everything I was saying and put it into code, uh, he he ended up removing Gulp, and I was like, well, wait, why did you remove Gulp? And he's like, well, you don't need it anymore. And then uh, I was like, okay, like you know, Webpack is literally like I like I try to think of it as just a module loader, like it's just trying to you know compile JavaScript. Uh, and then we like or because I mean if you think about like a WordPress theme, uh, I mean you've got images, uh, you've got fonts like all that kind of stuff uh which webpack is definitely not like it it can handle if you're writing like a javascript single page app that like if you turn javascript off the page is white like it can handle all that but like you know you you kind of you know you, it's not really a one hit solution for everything when you're one of my like favorite a... oh sorry one of my favorite uh grunt modules is actually gruntacon which oh, will yeah create pngs for your um svgs and it's just like one of those amazing workflow automation things i like to use svg because i'm all about the retina and when i need a png fallback it's just like bloop bloop done and it generates a style sheet that you actually include in your uh you know you you enqueue in your head so so you know what you're writing are classes on your elements just like if you're using font awesome or something like that and so if i switch to webpack or gulp i've got to go figure out what the equivalent is and maybe it doesn't work quite the same way or whatever and it's like not worth it to me but i'm yeah curmudgeon well yeah I'm a, actually but that's good to say but, but that's completely valid i guess a, if if we had to like give people to take away from all this conversation i mean yeah so like uh i mean redux it's not like a like you don't have to do it like it's not like if, if you're tripping on it like you don't need to do it immediately like that shouldn't stop you from from using react and another thing is like the webpack thing like it's that also shouldn't stop you like if you like using grunt like dude just use webpack with grunt like use use webpack for what it's good at you know uh and then don't i wouldn't be i wouldn't be shy or abashed about using gulp or grunt or, or whatever um they're kind of like complementary tools anyway um, i think a although, great way to go ahead Oh, saying, although if if you are into like those package JSON like npm scripts that are like a hundred lines of bash like in JSON, then like you know knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah, there was a great link being shared a couple weeks ago. The title is "Being a Developer After 40. and so it's a wise old man with some sage advice. And his advice is ignore the hype cycle, and also take the opportunity at least once a year to learn something completely new for the sake of learning. And I actually, as a developer, just in the last year or two, finally feel comfortable to go and learn a new language just for the sake of learning the new language, not feeling like I'm going to get caught up, um, you know, forever on it. Which is, I I think it's like it's something it's an ability that comes with experience and comes with time and so if you quite aren't aren't quite there yet you know you will be in the future and so for me even though redux is very very complicated and you know potentially not the right uh, abstraction for a lot of the projects that i work on um it was it, it's it's been really fun to learn a new development pattern and learn a new technology and at least have that as a part of you know my experience um you know experiences as a developer yeah absolutely well chris so you uh, what's your take on all this madness i know you've i've kind of recently thrown you into all this stuff one question i had is um just i can I can give my uh, thoughts on this, but I was curious. And you did say, Daniel, that you you like the JSX and uh, the component stuff. Um, what was your? I just don't know. What was your JavaScript experience going into this? And um, I'm just curious if you were 
feeling like there's just so much new stuff to learn to, um, you know, to write JSX and to do all this stuff in JavaScript that maybe you used to do in PHP side, or I just don't know what you, what your, your history with JavaScript is and how that transition was for you. Sure. Um, yeah, so a little bit more of my technical brown background. I'd consider myself a pretty strong PHP developer. And with that being said, I'm entirely self-taught, you know, three-time dropout. And all of my knowledge comes from real-world work experience. And so you learn certain things working on projects that are relevant to whatever you're working on. And you completely miss everything else that's, you know, computer science knowledge that's important, um, but but not relevant to what you're working on. So I'd, I'd come into this with some, you know, like I know the jQuery, like I know how to create new objects, I know how to create you know, closures and scoped code in JavaScript, but I'm not like, I don't consider myself a JavaScript pro or even like, you know, reasonably strong JavaScript knowledge. Like usually I can figure it out and figure out what I need to do to get it working. Um, and I didn't find, and, and even with that, and kind of, I guess, based on my knowledge of PHP, like I didn't find JavaScript, the language to be terribly difficult or trip me up in many ways, although object immutability and mutability definitely owned me multiple times and still, yeah. you know, continues to own me. Um, and, and also the difference between ES6 and whatever is, you know, actually works in your browser is like night and day difference. Like I love ES6 and I like the stuff that you have to write to work in your browser is like, awful to me now um <laughs> so, you know just some some anecdotes to throw out but you know like just the other day like i've been a console.log debugger for you know since the dawn of time now and just the other day i figured out how the debugger statement actually worked and it was like wow this is amazing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, know oh, so yeah. i'm still very much an amateur in the sense that like i'm i'm learning and i'm learning stuff that i should have known at the very beginning but just didn't pay attention and so i've been doing it the dumb way um i i think like having the time and freedom with this particular project to actually explore and learn was was invaluable and pretty critical to learning experience and so for anyone going into it don't expect that you're going to learn it in an hour and then be able to apply it like treat it as like you want to spend a day on it and then you want to take a week off to let it digest and then you want to spend another day day on it when you have a chance again and you do have to have the persistence you know because you're not going to get it right off the bat and stuff's going to just not work inexplicably for hours while you try to figure <laughs> out what the problem is. Well, that's exactly why I wanted to ask that question of you is because I had a lot of the same sentiments and pretty similar um, uh, kind of I mean, feeling like I was pretty similar going into it with my JavaScript experience and, you know, coming from a lot more PHP background and, um, and it, it was a little hard for me to go and be looking at components that included all this ES6 stuff. And I'm just like, this is not even JavaScript. Like, what is happening here? <laughs> this is, like, like, I know some JavaScript, and this is not it. Um, so then it's like, it's like not only learning, um, and it's not that there isn't another way to do it, but there's the stuff that you get with ESX and, you know, that type of JavaScript is, is often so much more efficient and um once you understand how it works you know it's it just makes a lot of sense and saves you a lot of time but i think that was kind of a barrier for me was um was just that there's there's another layer on top of this so it's not like you're just learning jsx but it's like jsx and all this new javascript stuff too so um for me it was taking that a step at a time using the tools and the syntax that i knew and then you know learning those other ways to do things that were better kind of as i went and a lot of times that means finding a component that just doesn't quite make sense and then you got to go read about it and and figure out what's going on so it's been a fun uh it's been a fun journey for me as we're just dipping dipping our toes into this stuff over at carrot but um i'm excited to to continue to use all these different tools we've talked about today to to build build cool stuff for our customers. Yeah. In addition to so the Redux problem, Redux and the REST API, like let this be a call out to anyone, you know, who's willing to listen. There needs to be a library written that just works with the REST API and lets you and does all of the action and reducer stuff 
um, for you automatically so you never have to mm. worry about that in your WordPress based application. Like it seems doable to me, you know, particularly because the REST API expresses itself. And so the library can, you know, receive that schema for how the REST API, you know, is supposed to work uh, as a part of the initial payload or whatever and, and produce actions and reducers from that that you can use within your application. So that's kind of like I would love for someone to build that for me so I don't you know I did I mean that was I felt like that was 60% of you know my time was just writing all the actions and reducers that were just kind of like you know like procedural code for transforming data but the two problem areas that I see is you know kind of pain points with building WordPress based applications uh, react applications um, one syncing your rewrite rules um, oh. because you're still going to use WordPress to like render the title tag and render SEO meta and, you know, return, you know, headers, uh, status headers from the server. Um, and so like the rewrite, you know, the rewrite rules in WordPress need to be in sync with, with those in your application. So you get, you know, proper data. The other thing is previewing. Like I just disabled the preview button and you have to push <laughs> save or it, you know, and, and it fetches a draft or something like that because previews in WordPress um, actually involve, let's see if I can recall the mechanics of it. Like the preview data doesn't actually get stored in the database, I don't oh. believe. Um, it's not an autosave? Yeah, well... But meta does it's it's just a mess, and so like trying to implement previewing so that the preview button works and actually does something, it, it yeah. yeah, it's like Disable. it's pretty dodgy, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, you know, I think that's kind of like some architectural work will need to be done in order to address that well. Yeah, that's a, that's actually well, my again, I've my experience here is like. Uh, I'm in this like awesome land where I'm just like using the rest the WP REST API to like create custom endpoints and whatever. And I'm in the dashboard, so I'm like basically like there's I think what you just have like a just one view in the dashboard, and then it just kicks off a React app and you're and you're good to go and you can kind of just hang out there forever. Uh, I didn't even nice. con I haven't even considered what it would be like to do it all on the front end and stuff like syncing everything. It's a disaster. It's but not uh, awful. I, I, with I'm, that, I'm being a bit facetious. <laughs> well, Daniel, what about password-protected posts? Oh, <laughs> I'll keep this uh, kid safe, but just imagine me releasing a long string of expletives right now. Okay. I don't know. I don't <laughs> Again, disable that button. In fact, you disable the entire WordPress admin. There you go. Yeah. We'll get there. Well, cool. Uh, I think that's a great place for us to stop. Um, I really appreciate you taking taking the time to come chat with us. Uh, it's always always fun to talk to you, and it's fun to talk about all this all this stuff that we're interested in, especially when it's things we're actually using to build projects of our own. Uh, it makes it so much more interesting for me. Uh, I hope that hope that you guys like this stuff. And um, I'm gonna take a minute right now, just because I have hopefully anybody who's made it this far into this episode. Um, I want to talk to you, uh, and carrot who, um, is the, is my company that, um, Austin and I have been talking about some of the projects we've been working on, uh, using WP API and react and all kinds of other stuff. Um, we're looking to hire some, some more folks. We're looking for at least one full-time developer, um, potentially some, some more freelancer or contract, uh, developers as well. So if this stuff excites you and, um, you guys think that we're, we're messing things up and missing stuff and you know this stuff better than uh than we do uh i'd love to talk to you go to on carrot on carrot.com slash dev and uh and check out what we got going on over there um we got a fun little team uh based out here in oregon um so if you like hanging out in slack and and talking through this stuff and and working on working on cool cool new things that involve wordpress and and react and and uh and who knows what else next. Uh, we'd love to talk to you. So go check that out too, please. Um, Dan, you'll, is there anything else that um, we'd like to send people to? Anything you want to plug before we take off here? 
Sure, I have a new endeavor. It's called Run Command, and it is a premium WPCLI support and services. So it's not launched yet. I'm in the progress of that. Uh, in fact, I'm in the progress of even returning the uh, email sign-up form to the front page. <laughs> I got to figure out how to do that in React. Uh, but <laughs> if if uh, that you know if you're interested in that sort of thing, you go to runcommand.io. And the theme itself is um, React and open source and the REST API. And that's github.com forward slash run command. Uh, and then it's run command dash theme. Uh, you'll just find it in that list of repos there. Awesome. Well, good. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, Roots WP on Twitter, if you want to follow us. Um, we'll have a post up in the Roots discourse if you want to chat through any of this kind of stuff. Um, Austin, thank you. Any closing thoughts from you? Uh, no, just send me money directly. Um, you just just send me lots of money if you're listening. <laughs> we'll cut that out. Just kidding. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Till next time. See you then. See ya.